You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Roads. Hello my radio friends. I'm so glad you've joined me again to hear more from God's Word, the Bible. Today we will see what the Bible has to say about roads and what we can learn from this subject. Have you ever travelled on a famous road? Take, for example, the Air Highway to Western Australia or the Sturt Highway to Darwin. Like me, you may have travelled on Route 66 in the United States of America. Even more exotic than that is the Silk Road in China. Hopefully, (laughs) you do not have any plans to travel Route 666. It would be far better to plan to travel on Route 777. The Bible speaks about some important roads, and the main one I want to share with you is about a short road by modern standards. It was probably only about 12 kilometres long. It was the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and it's famous for what happened there. What happened, happened on a Sunday night. Two disciples of Christ were returning home from Jerusalem. They'd been to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the high day in the Jewish religious calendar. They'd heard about, or may have seen for themselves, the crucifixion of Jesus, and they were bitterly disappointed. They had high hopes that Jesus would declare himself king and kick the Romans out of Israel. But that did not happen. Now, they were not only saddened that their home country would not regain its autonomy, but that the leader in whom they had pinned their aspirations was dead. To them, all seemed to be lost. While walking home, They felt despondent about what happened and were talking together of the recent events in Jerusalem. Their hearts were heavy and probably their eyes were wet with tears. On the way back to their village, they were suddenly joined by a stranger. He asked them, What were you talking about? What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk? And are sad, and that's from Luke twenty four seventeen. In their grief, they did not recognize who had joined them. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have not known the things which happened there in these last few days? And he said to them, What things? That's from Luke twenty four. 18 and 19. And so they started to explain about what had happened to Jesus, how he was a good and mighty man, and how the Jewish priests and hierarchy had put him to death. The latest news they had was that Jesus' body was laid in a tomb, 
But when various women believers went to the tomb early that Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. Jesus' body had disappeared. Others of the disciples went to check, and sure enough, the body was gone. Even stranger than this was the report that two angels had told the women that Jesus had risen from the dead, but no one knew where he was. It was one great perplexing mystery. Jesus then spoke to them and said, How foolish you are, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He would have told them about the prophetic statements about his birth, his life, his passion, his death and resurrection. One of my Bibles is called the Disciples Bible. It's a New King James Version, but included there are studies on various subjects, a concise concordance and other interesting things. One of those other things is a list of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus. There are pages and pages of these prophecies, about 350 in all. You can imagine the two crestfallen, uh, crestfallen disciples, how they forgot their sorrows and were thrilled that this unrecognised stranger had such an intimate knowledge of the scriptures. It's almost impossible to imagine how they were connecting all the parts of the Jesus jigsaw in their minds and were beginning to make sense of what had happened. Even so, when they reached their village, they still had not recognised that the stranger was somebody they knew and loved. It was their Lord and Master, Jesus himself. They urged him to stay the night as darkness was setting in. Luke twenty-four thirty and 31 tells us, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They were thrilled to realise that on the road while walking, it was Jesus himself who had been speaking to them. They were thrilled to see the marks in his hands as he handed them the pieces of bread, and they were thrilled that he had come to their home for a meal. They were so excited, they got up at once and went back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples what had happened. No longer were there tears and words of sadness. I guess their feet hardly touched the ground as they raced along to where the other eleven disciples were. The other eleven disciples were gathered together, 
and no sooner had Cleopas and his companion entered the room when the others burst out excitedly, It is true! It's true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon! Then Cleopas and his companion told their story. Everyone was happy and praised the Lord. Sadness had given way to joy. Jesus had indeed risen and appeared to them. Now they could go on with their lives and be a witness to all nations that Jesus wasn't dead. He had risen. There are several life applications we can draw from this story. One is that sometimes we experience life simply going through the motions. There may be no joy, no hope, and nothing to look forward to. All may appear to be gloom and doom. Perhaps you find yourself in such a situation. Maybe you have a disease for which there is no easy cure. Maybe you are in a relationship that's unhappy. Maybe you have a job where there's no enjoyment and no challenge. Maybe you just don't like yourself. Maybe there are financial problems. Or perhaps you want to lose weight but can't. If you feel despondent about what is happening to you, keep walking. At the end of the journey, just as with the two disciples, there is joy beyond measure. You see, this life is a testing ground. It's a time when God gives each person an opportunity to accept what he has done for us. And there is also the opportunity to reject him, if you so choose. God does not promise that as Christians we will never have troubles and heartaches, but he does promise a bright and wonderful future if we are faithful. It will be a future that will never end, and it will be a future of bliss. After Jesus left them, the two disciples said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What a blessing it is to have the comforting words of the Lord. We may not have the physical presence of Jesus, but we do have his words. They are recorded in the Bible. God's word brings comfort, hope, and meaning to life. We may talk to our Lord at any time. He's always ready to hear our prayers, and he loves to help us. As promised, and as recorded in John 14 and 16, Christ never dumped human beings when he went back to heaven. Instead, he gave us another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who guides us into all truth, 
and who guides us to the source of salvation, Jesus. The road to Emmaus experience is a very special one. We, go th- we may go through part of our lives not knowing the Lord, but when we come to realise who he is and what he's done for us individually, we can experience a joy and excitement we never knew before. I hope that you, dear listener, have your own road to Emmaus experience. Well, that's the first road. We're going to have a break, and then we'll go on to the second one straight afterwards. It's called Jordan And they say that it's deep And it's wide And they say that a king And a beggar On that shore will stand side As I said just before the break, I hope that you too, dear listener, have a road to Emmaus experience where you discover Jesus for yourself. Now the second road is referred to in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. It's a popular road and used by many. And that verse says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, are the words of Jesus about this road. Probably I should refer to this road as Broadway. 
This is a metaphorical road that illustrates a way of life, a lifestyle chosen by the majority. It's the lifestyle of least resistance, a go-with-the-flow lifestyle. It's a lifestyle where people choose not to honour God, where they do not have a battle with temptation and do not have to stand up for God. It's probably well summarised by this saying, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. I'll say that again. Those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Being one of a majority is easy. There's little or no resistance. The problem is that the majority are on the road to destruction. They will not inherit eternal life. The pleasure they get from this life is for the here and now. It's interesting that Jesus used the term destruction instead of saying people would be tormented forever and ever in hell. In modern parlance, we have the expression road to hell. It probably means the same thing as destruction, but there's quite a different outcome. In several previous programs, I've shared with you what hell is all about, but I'll briefly recap the important understandings about hell. The notion of an undefined place prepared by God and where the wicked dead go after they die and there experience eternal agony by burning is completely contrary to the nature of God. In reality, hell is planet Earth, which God will cleanse with fire after Jesus has returned to take his faithful ones back with him to heaven. That way, all sin, sinners, the devil and his angels, the evil spirits, will be destroyed. The burning forever in hellfire is an invention of man designed to make people afraid and scare them into God's kingdom. And that idea was vigorously promoted by the Roman Church, especially in Ireland. Priests, nuns and Catholic school teachers would tell the children under their care that they had to be good or they would go to hell. John 3.16, the Bible's most well-known verse, uses the word perish to describe the fate of those who do not accept the merits of Jesus. Both the words perish and destruction mean annihilation rather than the process of being annihilated. But the simple fact is that the majority of people living on this planet will not be given eternal life because of the road they 
have chosen. Whilst in America several years ago, we drove down the East Coast, ending up in Washington, D.C. In some places the roads were six lanes wide and the traffic was flowing at about 130 kilometres per hour. As the driver, I had to stay sharp and concentrate. There was no opportunity for daydreaming. What were all those people doing? Well, they were all going about their usual business, and I suppose very few of them were interested in the things of God. The Bible describes the people of the last days of this earth's history like those before the great flood. The Bible says they will be eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they'll be going about their daily business not having committed their lives to the Lord. They will be, as it says, swept away. The broad way is not the way of life for me, because I've chosen to accept the merits of Christ, to take away my sins, and so be right with God. Now the third road. The third road is mentioned in conjunction with the broad road. It's the narrow road or the narrow way. Matthew 7 verse 14 is about this road. Jesus said, But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Fairly recently my wife and I were in Italy and spent a day in Venice. Venice is a very romantic, exotic place. It's certainly quite different from the cities we have here in Australia. We spent what seemed like hours walking through many narrow streets to get from the railway station to the Grand Canal in St Mark's Square, the centre of the attractions in Venice. Venice has about 30 million tourists per year, and I suspect that on the one day we were there, it seemed as if most of them were there too. The city has about 55,000 inhabitants. Tourists outnumber the local population by about 500 to 1. Those back streets were narrow, a little wider in some places than needed to push a wheelbarrow through. But those narrow streets gave a richer meaning about the narrow road to me. The narrow road metaphor was used by Jesus to describe the way of life who, of those who will end up with eternal life. The road, the narrow road, is not an easy one. There will be privations, struggles and difficulties to cope with. But in the end, it'll all be worthwhile. To follow the narrow road is to have long-term goals. One may not find the going easy, but there is a need to persist, to keep going. And like on the road to Emmaus, we have one, Jesus, who walks with us, 
who opens up to our minds the truths of the Scriptures and fills our lives with peace and joy. So, will your experience be an Emmaus Road experience where you discover the Lord? Will that experience be like the narrow road experience where the going might be difficult but the rewards will be great? Or will your experience be a broad road experience, going with the flow, enjoying the moment and not caring about the future? Will the outcome of your choices be eternal life or eternal annihilation? Only you can make that choice. And I sincerely hope you end up making the right choice to serve and honour God in your life. And so we've come to the end of this program today. Soon I'll have to hit the road and go home until next session for another Give Me the Bible program. Until then, please choose life. Choose eternal life. That's the choice I wish for you. It'll bring a peace and joy into your life that few others will ever experience. Souls in